0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: go for it. I am your host, Paul Ganner. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, a number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash PGAN. That's blogtalkradio.com slash PGAN. You can send messages to the show on Twitter. At Go G O F O R I T G A N T. That's Go For again. and you can hit us up there. Uh, any messages? We can talk sports, have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Chicago Bears offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod. He has a big time, uh, big time golf tournament coming up. Big time football camp coming up next week, uh, two weeks from now. So we're going to talk to them about that. talking about the OTAs and everything with the Chicago Bears. Also, going to be joined by St. Peter's assistant basketball coach and our NBA analyst, uh, Marlon Guild, who will stop on by. And uh, we're going to talk about what we saw last night and talk about what we may see tonight uh, with the Pacers and Heat last night and OKC and San Antonio tonight. So we're going to get his take on the NBA playoffs. And also, we're expected to be joined by rapper, singer, Young Scrap, and he's got. Some decent music out there right now. It has a little buzz going on right now. So we're going to talk to him about some of his music that's out there. No love, one of his songs that are, that's out there getting some serious buzz. No love is getting a lot of love right now, and we're going to talk to him about some of the things going on with Young Scrap. So great show lined up to you today. Marlon Gill will be joining us at 2:10. Bush, Jermaine Bushrod at 1:10, and Young Scrap at 2:35. I want to start. What we saw last night, the Miami Heat, the Indiana Pacers, before we get to what we saw last night, I said before this series started that the Miami Heat will win in six, and by golly, the Miami Heat did win in six. Let's just get that out of the way right now. But anyway, <clears throat> what we saw last night, I mean, you know, game five to me was a byproduct. I'm going to go back to game five before I go to game six. Game five was a byproduct to me of foul trouble. When LeBron James went out there in that third quarter, that's when the Indiana Pacers made their move, and that's when ultimately they took the lead, and ultimately they were able to keep the lead because of the play of Paul George down the stretch, 37 big points for Paul George. But you look at, and and from there, I mean, I knew the Pacers would come out with that type of effort in game number five. This was a team throughout the course of the year. Say what you want. They've been dysfunctional near the end of this season in the second half and near the end of the season, but this is a team that has showed some heart, and, and when the chips were down, they've always found a way to make it happen. I mean, they, they did it against Atlanta. They did it against the Wizards on some level, going to Washington in Game 3 and taking over that series in Game 3. So, they did it then in the Indiana Pacers, and when the chips were down, the chips were against them, they were able to to make the plays necessary to win ball games. Granted, uh, The Miami Heat aren't the Atlanta Hawks. The Miami Heat obviously are not the Washington Wizards. They're none of those teams. So the Miami Heat, to me, obviously the much better basketball team, I thought. And coming into this thing, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I talked about this a few weeks back. But this was a case to so be careful what you wish for for the Indiana Pacers because they've been saying all and all and all, long and, you know, they've been saying, I want to, we want home court advantage against the Miami We want home court advantage. We want home court advantage. We get home court advantage, we can win this thing. But, and they got home court advantage ultimately. But, you know, at the end of the day, last year they were able to get to a seventh game. This year they were able to only get to a sixth game. And as, soon as, as quickly as they got home court advantage, they pretty much Lost it. I mean, the Indiana Pacers, last night, what we saw out of that team, I mean, I didn't like it. I didn't like how they went out. I mean, they they didn't go out like champions, and obviously they're not champions, but you expected them to go out a little better than they did. I mean, you remember last year, Game 7, they got blown out by 20, and that's what the talk was. Okay, if we can get Game 7 in our building... Maybe it's now a much different story. Maybe we can actually win Game 7 against the Miami Heat if we can get it in our building. Well, you got to get it to Game 7. And they weren't able to do that this season. You know, and, and a lot of people, much has been made over the past few days about Lance Stevenson and blowing in LeBron's ear and, and, and doing things of that nature, slapping LeBron's face and you know things of that nature, and then here's the thing. I mean, Lance Stevenson is a competitive guy, and I think he's trying to get, He was trying to get a competitive edge, any way he can, any way he could. I mean, and, and he tried various methods. He tried to get under LeBron James' skin. And here was the, here's the interesting about the interesting thing about that whole thing. As much as he tried, it, it seemed like he couldn't get into, get under LeBron's skin. I mean, LeBron kept his composure. He slapped him in the head. Slapped him in the face, excuse me. LeBron kept his composure. I mean, more often than not, if you slap somebody in the face or you know, your hand goes towards somebody's face, in, in most cases, you usually have something on your hands, whether it's a fight or something. You have something on your hands when you go to somebody's face. And it was a subtle slap. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a, a, obviously it wasn't a big-time, you know, pull the arm back, you know, cock back type of slap. No, it was just a quick little little, little baby slap, a little, you know, love tap, if you will. And LeBron, you know, he put his head back, but, he, you know, he, he kept it moving. He kept moving, kept it moving. And, you know, here's the thing about sometimes when, when a team is, 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 is more talented than you, Sometimes, or a player's more talented than you, sometimes you have to try to do things to kind of even the playing field. And in some respect, Lance Stevenson tried to do things to even the playing field. Did it work? No, it didn't work, obviously. It didn't work, obviously, but he tried. And, and I think we're kind of making a little too much of it. I mean, I, I don't think it really was that big. Of I thought what was a big deal when he went to the media and talked about, you know, he's trying to get, he, he thinks he's under LeBron's skin, things of that nature. In that particular situation, probably it's best, and, and he said that, it's probably best that he just keeps the stuff on the court and, and, and do the stuff on the court, do his antics on the court, don't take it off the court. And then at that point, you know, and maybe it did become a distraction to the Pacers because ultimately they had to start talking about it. They had to talk about it. And, you know, now the Indiana Pacers have an interesting decision to make in terms of Lance Stevenson. He's a free agent, an unrestricted free agent. What do you do if you're Larry Burden, the Indiana Pacers? I mean, I think when I look at the Pacers, this is a team that their starting five is all locked down except for Lance Stevenson. I mean, George Hill is locked down, $8 million per. David West, $12 million. Hibbert, fifteen. Paul George around 14 to 16 million. So they're all locked down. They're locked down. And the only person that's not locked down is Lance Stevenson. They have a decision to make. The Indiana Pacers have a decision to make. And and I'll let you know how and what decision they should make later in the show, but look at the Miami Heat now. They're going to their fourth straight NBA finals and That's impressive. I mean, on any in any era in any level, that's impressive to be able to go to the champion to the NBA Finals for straight years. And and basically, you know, these guys to this point, Bosh, LeBron, and D Wade have pretty much done what they set out to do back in 2010 when they came together, back in 2010 and into that 2011 season when they came together they pretty much did and have done what they wanted to do. They pretty much have. I mean, other than what happened in 2011 when you lose to Dallas Mavericks, the Heat pretty much have done what they wanted to do and, and, and done what, what they set out to do when they came together, when they we're talking about not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, so on and so forth. Well, now they're at two with a chance at three. And I think, you know, obviously no matter what happens moving forward, I mean, all these guys can opt out of their contracts. D-Wade, LeBron James, and Chris Boss, they all can opt out. So if this is the last time this this group is together, you went went three out of four years, including a three-peat, you've done something. And I think this this team has done something. I mean, obviously, they're a rarefied air because they become the fourth team to go to four straight NBA Finals. Boston Celtics did it 57 through 66. That's 10 straight appearances. 84 through 87, the Boston Celtics did it four straight times. The Lakers did it 82 through 85, four straight times. And of course, the Miami Heat 2011 through 2014, four straight times to the NBA Finals. So, bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. The Miami Heat are now in rarefied air. If they can win another title, that's a three-peat. And if this group were to break together, break apart after this, they have pretty much set out and did what they said they were going to do when they came together and had that big party on South Beach. You remember that? When they were talking, not one, not two, not three, and everybody was celebrating at that, that little pepper. I remember I was in Ocean City, Maryland, I saw that. And, you know, they were, they were celebrating, having a good old time. And you thought at that point they won a title. You really did. You thought they wanted that, won a title already, the way they were celebrating in South Beach on that particular day. Well, they won two of them and have a great shot at three. When we come back, Chicago Bears had their OTA. These past few days, and we're going to ask Jermon Bushrod how they went. So when we come back, we're going to be joined by Chicago Bears offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out East, though. I will say that the Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but. That Just doesn't see mean
2: it. anything in the playoffs time. In the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I uh, was trying
1: to throw you. Know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you. You have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I, I man, just don't man. know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. <laughs> That's not Rocky. <right. laughs> That's called butter.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thank- very, very good at your job.
1: Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> okay.
3: Hey, what up, that. it's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picture Rica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G. and Jeremy. Get it!
1: And we're back. And we're back. Uh, again, the Bears had their OTAs, and we're going to talk to uh, a guy who was a part of those OTAs. Let's bring him in now, offensive tackle for the Chicago Bears. Jermon Bushrod. Jermon, how are you?
4: I'm doing good, man. How are you?
1: Doing well. Thanks for joining us.
4: Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on.
1: Now, Jermon, the OTAs, you had them. How would it go for you? What did you see? How was it getting back with the guys?
4: Uh, you know, it was good getting back out there with everyone. Um, you know, we're very excited about the year we had. We brought in some, uh, some good key additions, and um, we got some good rookies coming in, so... Uh, you know, as a, as a team, as an organization, we're very excited. Uh, first week went well. You know, we're out there competing, fighting to get better.
1: Anything that stood out for you? Anything that you saw that was like, wow, some of your new teammates?
4: Um, I mean, honestly, man, you know, we, we brought in some veterans, especially on the defensive end uh, side of the ball. Uh, we, we brought in some key guys, and um, you know, with, with Jared, Willie Young, Lamar Houston, uh, Trevor Scott, uh, you know, we got some good guys that we're going to be uh, competing against uh, this year. Uh, at the end of the day, man, I'm just I'm just loving our, our competitive spirit. Everybody's out there defending. We're ready to go.
1: Now, you talked about the defense in last season. The defense did struggle. Your star linebacker Lance Briggs said that he believes this defense can be a top five defense again. You agree with him?
4: Absolutely. I mean, you know, we were playing well, you know, as a team last year until, you know, the injury bug trying to hit us, and you know, uh, you know, but then, you know, that is what it is, man. Uh, there's no, that's, I mean, that's just how it is. But like, like, honestly, like Lance was saying, I mean, the type of people we brought in, the players that we signed back from our team. Uh, it was key. It was it was real key. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely think they're going to do. some. I know they're going to do some damage, um, and, and we're going to, you know, pick up our side of the ball as well and, and continue to get better on, on offense. Special teams will just, uh, you know, set the tone for the game.
1: We're talking to Bears offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod. And Jermon, we saw what happened with Dominic Hickson. He went down with an ACL injury. We also saw what happened with Sean Lee in Dallas with an ACL injury. Injury, as a player, what is your mindset injury-wise as you approach OTAs?
4: Uh, I mean, it's something you really can't really think about, man. It's just, okay.
0: you know, we, we
4: all know the risk that goes into playing this game. And, and you know, whether you have uh, helmets or not, I mean, you know, guys are out there moving. They're moving extremely fast. We're out there trying to uh, trying to get better and things happen, man. All you can do is is – is, is stay true to your technique and, 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 and help you pray everything goes all
1: right. Now, you look at the Chicago Bears, your offense is pretty much the same guys as last year. Your offense was big time last year. With that being said, could you guys actually be better since you now you have the con- continuity? Could you guys actually be better in 2014 than you were in 2013 on the offensive side of the ball?
4: Well, that's that's our plan. You know, we're 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 getting more reps, we're getting uh more time in the classroom, more time on the field, we're getting more familiar with the offense. Uh you know, our goal is to continue to get better, I think we will. Um because our our mindset is right. Uh our leader and our quarterback is, is, is doing everything that he can to to be more familiar with the offense. He he's getting the guys under him and around him. Uh to buy in so uh yeah i mean look it's our plan to to continue to go up you know we want to continue to uh incline not decline
1: and, and you talked about your quarterback jay cutler and you've been on record and talking about jay cutler not the football player but more so jay cutler the man and a lot of times jay cutler the man you know it gets you know gets criticized by a lot of people who is jay cutler the man
4: I mean, he's just an overall good guy, man. You know, the people who criticize him are the people who don't know, him, and the people who don't, uh, you know, who are not meeting with him, who don't hang out with him outside the, you know, outside the facility. You know, you know nothing about a person. I mean, any, anybody can, you know, uh, be on the outside, write an opinion, and have people follow him. But at the end of the day, it's about the people that you know are, are investing time in him, the the people who he's investing time in, and and. Uh, the relationships that we're establishing, you know, that's all that really matters to us, you know. Uh, outside distractions or, or what people say are kind of irrelevant.
1: We're talking to Bears offensive tackle, Jermon Bushrod. And, Jermon, you've been on record in your belief that the Bears can win a championship in 2014. Tell us why.
4: Well, because, you know, like kind of like what I was saying earlier, uh, we, we made uh, – some some nice free agent acquisitions. We brought in some nice draft picks. We signed we signed uh a lot of our players back. Um our I mean, we, we have the mindset to do it. We have uh we have the players to do it. It's honestly just about us going out and executing our uh, our you know, our game plan week to week. Sounds like you got a little
1: daddy duty back there.
4: Yeah, yeah, you know that. My, my little man is uh, he's riled up in the back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this now, switching gears to the to the NBA playoffs. Uh, I want to ask you this. Lance Stevenson, we saw the other day he was blowing in LeBron James's ear. What, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on the football field along those lines?
4: Uh, Nothing like that. You know, it might be a little trash <laughs> talk or, you know, maybe a little seven after the play or or something like that, you know, but nothing uh, nothing quite that wild, you know okay. uh, I was uh, he he was, he was kinda out there for that one, but you know whatever you know it's, it's entertainment at the end of the day
1: what would you do if someone blew in in your ear?
4: Well, he have to be pretty close being you know, that we head down come it all, but uh <laughs> uh, I mean, there ain't really much you can't do, I mean you know I like that that' just on. You know, they're just trying to bait you to, you know, get you out of the game. And, 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 uh, you know, it is what it is. just got to do like how LeBron did and just shake it off, laugh about it, and and fight the goal, you know, win win the championship like they did. uh, Eastern Conference Championship like they did last night.
1: Do you see the Heat winning this whole thing?
4: I don't really see anybody stopping them. I mean, uh, you know, if one guy's not hitting, somebody else is hitting you know, if LeBron's having an off night, Ray Allen's scoring 25. Uh, if LeBron and Wade are hitting, and you know they they got they got too many weapons. I don't know. You know, I I'd like to see OKC uh, do it for the first time, but at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be tough to stop eat.
1: We're talking the Bears' offensive attack with Jermon Bushrod. Jermon, your foundation, visualizing rise. You got some big events coming up in the next couple of weeks: June 13th through the 14th first, the fifth annual Visualize and Rise Celebrity Football Camp and also the fourth annual Visualize and Rise Celebrity Charity Golf Tournament. Tell us about all those things.
4: Uh they're going well man. You know, we got three hundred and fifty kids that's already signed up. They're signed up in nine hours for wow. the youth football camp. Uh you know, that was uh, that's pretty wild, but you know, it just uh, it, it just goes to show how we're continuing to grow, how we're you know, trying to impact as many lives as we can. Um, and 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 that's going well. And then June thirteenth, I mean, the, our golf tournament is actually both tournaments. We have two tournaments in one day. That's actually already okay. sold out, and uh, which is which is tremendous. Because usually, you know, when it comes to golf tournaments, you know, uh, people you know kind of wait until the last minute. But uh, you know, this thing was sold out for the last, uh, I think, three days ago, something yeah. like that. So. Uh, Yeah, you know, we're continuing to grow. We're we're continuing to bless as many people as possible, actually. Uh, The Visualizing Wives Foundation, we have a a, a charity fashion show highlighting the uh, the Chicago Bears' wives next Thursday. Okay. Uh, Actually, here up here in Chicago, we'll be raising money for scholarships as well. And, uh, you know, actually, within the next week or two, we're going to be having uh, a Super Bowl raffle chance you know, we're, we're going to give some some lucky family an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl for as low as $100. So, uh, wow. yeah, we're excited, man. We're excited, real excited.
1: So you're going to let your wife walk in the fashion show as well?
4: Oh, yeah, she's highlighting it, man. She's uh, she's okay. the one who, who kind of got the ball rolling on this thing. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to see her go and and and, and do her thing. For sure. Now, where can we find
1: information about all the great things going on with Visualize and Rise and all the things going on with that great weekend starting June 13th?
4: Uh, visualizeandrise.com.org, Jermon Bushrod.com, or you can follow my on Twitter or Instagram, J-Bushrod7475. underscore
1: Fans, go out, support all the great things going on with Jermon Bushrod and his foundation. He's got some big-time events coming up. Jermon? Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again.
4: Yes, indeed, man. Appreciate you as always. Uh, thanks for the support.
1: No doubt. Take care. You too. Jermaine Bushrod, offensive tackle for the Chicago Bears. And again, support all the great things going on with Jermaine Bushrod. Hit him up on his Twitter, j underscore bushrod seventy four seventy five. Same thing for his instagram j bushrod seventy four seventy five. hit his tw- hit his uh, foundation up on Twitter visualize and rise and also that's the same for his Instagram and also hit him up on his facebook facebook.com slash visualize and rise Foundation so support all the great things going on with Dramond Bushrod and his visualize and rise foundation you know should be fun I mean he's got a lot of a lot of great great stuff going on there. it has got a lot of great people coming out there. And, you know, it should be fun. JermonBushrod.com is where you can find out find out about all the great things going on with Visualize and Rise and the Visualize and Rise Foundation. And all, I mean, it, you know, this guy's been doing this for a while now. I mean, really has. So, you know, you, he's obviously doing something right on the field and off the field with this, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. In Virginia Visualize and Rise Foundation support all the great things with Jermon Bushrod. Let's go back now to the NBA playoffs and, and, and the Miami Heat and, and what they did last night. I mean, it, was, you know, it wasn't surprising. I mean, you look at how, you know, this, this run for the Miami Heat, I mean, they've been it's kind of They've been fortunate. You know, because you, you figure you go against Charlotte, and, and they lose their best player. You know, you go against Brooklyn. Though Brooklyn had success against you in the regular season, it's not a huge, you're better than the Brooklyn Nets. you should win. You go against the Indiana Pacers, who, you know, obviously was not the same team that they were in the beginning of the year. So the Heat had a pretty nice, I don't want to say easy, but it, it wasn't as stressful. As what San Antonio and OKC had to go through. I mean, obviously the Western Conference is a lot tougher than the Eastern Conference. A lot tougher than the Eastern Conference. I mean, I heard Jeff Van Gundy said, you know, he doesn't believe the Indiana Pacers would have gotten wouldn't have would have gotten far if they were in the Western Conference. And and he's probably right. I mean, he's probably right. I mean, you look at the Indiana Pacers. They 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 they, they what? Fifty six victories. So in the West, that would put them around four. So they would play, They would have played Houston in the first round. Houston and Portland in the first round. Let's just say Houston. Okay. Do they beat the Houston Rockets the way that they've been playing the Indiana Pacers? They. I mean, they might not have gotten out of the first round in the Western Conference. I mean, you look, you look at, I mean, this, and, and the way this all sets up, it kind of benefits the Miami Heat because they didn't have to play as many games as the San Antonio Spurs or the OKC. That then OKC, you know, they didn't have to play as many games as those teams did. You know, my, my, Miami they swept the Bobcats four games there, beat Brooklyn in five, that's nine games, and then beat Indiana in six, and that's 15 games. So they played. Fifteen games. They played fifteen games. You know, and, and that's you know, that's huge. That's huge when when you only have to play fifteen games. That's absolutely huge. That's huge, man. And conversely, you look at OKC, seven games against Memphis, six games against the Clippers, that's thirteen. And if they want to get to the NBA Finals, they're going to have to play 20 games. So 20 games over that stretch, that's huge. That's 20 games. Conversely, Miami, 15. So that, that's huge. That's, I mean, you, you, that's big time where, you know, you're, you're well-rested. T- your team is getting the rest that it needs. Your veterans are getting the rest that it needs, and and hopefully you're going to be well rested, meaning the Miami Heat when you go up against either OKC or San Antonio. Conversely, I mean you look at the, when you look at the Spurs, I mean OKC's played twenty games to this point, San Antonio seven against Dallas, five against Portland, that's twelve, and you know to this point seventeen. If they hopefully for their sake. They want to play only 18 games. That's tonight. So 18 for San Antonio, maybe 19, but only 15 for the Miami Heat. And and in these playoffs, you know anything can 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 change the whole complexion of these playoffs. Anything can happen. An injury can change these whole playoffs. I mean, we've seen it over the years. We've seen it even in the series with OKC and San Antonio. The first two games, it was just a blowout. wasn't even close. Serge Ibaka comes back. OKC blows out San Antonio in the next two. Game five, San Antonio blows out OKC. But with all that being said, with Serge Ibaka back, now OKC has a chance. Before Serge Ibaka came back, I was talking last week before Serge Serge Ibaka came back and the talk was he may come back and and I was saying, you know what, San Antonio was up two games to nothing and they were dominant in those two games. I mean, it it wasn't even close in those two games and, you know, judging by what OKC said, judging by what the Thunder said about Serge Ibaka, you didn't think he was going to come back. You didn't think there was a chance that he would come back. And so, I figured, okay, Abaka's not going to come back at that point. Okay, see, it's done. But we, Abaka comes back, and we, we see what he did in game three, and we see what he did in game four. And then Greg Popovich, being the great coach that he is, the second greatest coach in the last 25 years. I mean, he's the second best coach in the last 25 years behind Phil Jackson. Greg Popovich is on that level, obviously. But you look at the adjustments that Popovich made and, and putting Kawhi Leonard on Westbrook and, and putting in Matt Bonner, using stretch fours, Bonner and D.L. I mean, and, and Ginobili went off as well, but they adjusted. Now it's time for Scott Brooks and OKC to make the next adjustment. You have to adjust to their adjustment. You have to adjust to their adjustments. And it's, we'll see what Scott Brooks has. I mean, he adjusted. He asserted Reggie Jackson in Game 3 into the starting lineup. Obviously, Ibaka comes back. But he adjusted to what San Antonio was doing. Well, San Antonio, well, they counter. Boris Diaw, two for two from downtown. You know, and, and so he came in and he set the tone for San Antonio. And he came in and had a, perfor- a big-time performance for San Antonio.
4: And, I mean, here's
1: the thing. The Spurs sh- shot 26 three-pointers but made 13 of them. So that's 50% from downtown. You shoot three-pointers like that, you have a good opportunity to win basketball games. And the role players stepped up. And I, and I, heard, I heard Charles Barkley talk about this. Role players and and, and their comfort level in their own building. And, you know, you saw it. The role players for San Antonio were much better in game six than they were in games – I mean, excuse me, game five than they were in games three or four. Much better. And and because of that, you know, and and conversely, OKC's role players didn't play the way they did in games three and four. So role players, obviously – they're more comfortable in their own building. And obviously because of that, their comfort level, they, they become, you know, they, they, they essentially uh, play much better at their build, in their own buildings. But now again, how does Brooks now counter what Pop did with Bonner? Bring Bonner in the lineup and putting Kawhi Leonard on Russell Westbrook. I mean, do you switch it up and maybe? I mean, Splitter was on the bench. I, I mean, well, I'm just trying to figure out how they could, what they can do in terms of counteracting that. I mean, Perkins maybe. I don't know Perkins would handle the, you know, the Red Rocket, and Matt Bonner. But I mean, what's Matt Bonner do? The only thing he can do is shoot threes pretty much. He's not going to do much off the dribble. If you switch Perkins on the or you can have a Bacca down low guarding Duncan on the ball. But Perkins does a decent job on Duncan on the ball. So, I mean, we'll see how what, what adjustments they make. And it, and it could be just come down to, to making shots, shot making. I mean, Russell Westbrook was 6 for 12, Durant 11 for uh, 21. Well, you know, you look at Russell Westbrook in games 3 and 4, 26 and 8 in game 3, and then 40 and 10 in game number four. So, you know, obviously sometimes it comes down to just putting the ball in the basket, and when, when San Antonio goes 13 for 26 from downtown, they're putting the ball in the basket. You know, and OKC, conversely, was only six for 24 from downtown, so 50% to 25%. So if you're able to hit the three ball like that, I mean, Patty Mills made three of them. Ginobili had three of them. Danny Green had four of them. I mean, if you're, and that was all four of his baskets. So if you're if you're able to shoot the three ball like that, then, you know, you're going to be difficult to beat. San Antonio's a very good basketball team. and they're shooting the ball 50% from downtown, you're going to be a difficult, difficult team to beat. You're going to be a very difficult team to beat. And so no matter where you play, quite honestly. So it should be interesting what game five is going to look, at, look like. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was... You know, looking at this series, and obviously this has been a series that, you know, a lot of blowouts. Average margin of victory is 20.4 points per game. That's the average margin of victory per team. And, you know, you look at that number and you say, well, this series has been boring. Oh, this series has been awful. No, this has been a great series. Even though it has been blowouts, this has been a great series even though none of these games have been close, this has been a great series. It's just a lot of back-and-forth action, a lot of high-level play is what what I said. I mean, it's it's a high-level play that we're seeing here out of both of these teams. These are two very good basketball teams, and it shows. It's a high-level play, a high-level play. I mean, San Antonio wiped out, wiped out OKC in the first two games, and then... OKC wipes out San Antonio in the next two, beating them by nine and beating them by 13. And then San Antonio comes back and just beats down OKC. I mean, San Antonio beat OKC by 17 in game number one. I mean, not even close, obviously. Beat them by 35 in game number two. And then beat them by 28 in game five. So... Every time San Antonio has played OKC in San Antonio, it has not been close. And it takes me back it takes me back to a series that we saw uh back a few years ago. A series that we saw a few years ago with the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks back in twenty ten. Um you know, obviously some big differences here. That was a first-round series. This is a conference final. Secondly, the the two teams that are playing, obviously, are much more talented than the two teams that played in that particular series. But the thing about that series, the thing about that series, um, you know, you look at it. The Atlanta Hawks, in their wins, they won their – each and every game they won, they won by an average of 13 points. The Atlanta Hawks. I mean, excuse me, the Milwaukee Bucks in the games, they won they won by close to 10 points per game, 9.6 points per game, pretty much 10 points a game in their victories. So the average margin of victory in that particular series was 11.6 points per game. Obviously, it's a nine-point difference in terms of points per game in terms of average margin of victory in this particular series between OKC and San Antonio. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, that series was an awful series. That series... At times, even though it went seven games, was was kind of unwatchable. It wasn't unwatchable series because it was a blowout, but it, you didn't have you know the the, the high level of play that you have in this particular series. You're not seeing the high level of play that you saw that you're seeing in this particular series, when, in that Atlanta Hawks and Milwaukee Bucks series. I mean, it was it was it was a bad seven game series, and there's not many times where you can say you know, it's a bad seven-game series. That's not many times you say that because there's really not many times that you can say this is a bad seven-game series. And that was a bad seven-game series. And Steve Kerr, you know, he said at the end of, of the game, near the end of the game in garbage time, that he felt like, you know what, this game is going coming back to San Antonio on Monday night. And, you know, you, obviously you don't hear that much in terms, especially guys who are doing the game. But based off of, of what we saw in, in the first five games, I mean, they say a series starts when the road team wins. Well, this series, this series hasn't started yet. This series has not started yet because the road team has not won. So when this series starts, it's when it may end if San Antonio wins tonight. Because, you know, obviously, as we say, as we say, a series doesn't start until the road team wins. And we'll see if San Antonio gets it done tonight. I think OKC gets it done. I think OKC is going to take it to seven. I think game seven is going to be epic. I think it's going not going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be back and forth action. You know, you wonder. You wonder if, if we talked about the Indiana Pacers. You wonder if the Miami Heat had to, to go through what San Antonio had to go through and what um, OKC had to go through to get to the Western Conference, I wonder wonder if Miami Heat would have gotten to the NBA. If I, I think they would because I think they're a better team than the Indiana Patriots, and I think, you know, obviously with, with LeBron and Dwayne Wade, every night you have two of the best players in the game on the court on your side. And then you add Chris Bosh and what he brings to the table, and then you you know you talk about Ray Allen if he's on, you know you add that to the mix, and now you you know that's that's a big time situation. So I think you know I think the Miami Heat would have gotten to the NBA Finals, whether in the Eastern or Western Conference. Indiana Pacers not sure they would have made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, whether in the East or West. I don't think so. In the West, I don't think they would have made it. I don't think they would, but and they were fortunate. Indiana was very fortunate that you played a sub-500 team against the Atlanta Hawks, and we're very fortunate that, you know, you, you played the Washington Wizards, a team that didn't have the experience. And, and I, you know, I talked to Damari Carroll last week, and we had him on the show, and I talked about that, the the lack of experience that, you know, Atlanta had in comparison to, what the Indiana Pacers had, and you saw that experience in the first round, and you saw that experience against the Washington Wizards, a very young team, Beal and, and Wall, their first time in the dance. You know, and, and what they brought to the table, you, you saw the difference in experience with Indiana in comparison to the Washington Wizards, the way the Indiana Pacers closed out basketball games. And now the Indiana Pacers, now they go up against the Miami Heat, uh, a supremely talented team and a much more talented team than the Indiana Pacers, and they ultimately won the series. You know, you, you, The Indiana Pacers, just the way their second half of the season went, I'm not saying go crazy with the changes, but I think you do, and you, I hate advocating for somebody to lose their job, but I think you need to think about the coaching situation. From this standpoint, it seemed like that team near the end of the year and just into these playoffs, they just were, you know, a dysfunctional bunch. They were a dysfunctional unit, and, and they were they didn't have leadership. And one of the guys that was one of their leaders was Danny Granger. You know, he brought leadership to that ball club. Obviously, it was his team before Paul George stepped on this stepped onto the scene, and then when Granger went down last year, Paul George asserted himself and stepped up and became a star-caliber player. Not a superstar. I said star. There's a difference. Um, And so Danny Granger was that guy in the locker room. I, I thought that helped. Well, obviously you trade him to Philadelphia for Evan Turner. You bring in Evan Turner, and Evan Turner really wasn't much of a factor for the Indiana Pacers when he came over and wasn't much of a factor in the playoffs. So that deal pretty much netted you nothing. You got nothing in that deal. Because you didn't even use Evan Turner. And you look at the Indiana Pacers and, and what happened with them and you know, I think we we, we need to, to ask Larry Bird some tough questions. I mean, you know, in the off season You trade Plumlee and Gerald Green, a first-round pick, for Luis Scola. And, you know, Luis Scola, at the time, obviously, it was a good trade. At the time, you thought it was a good trade because you're bringing in a guy who who can definitely score in and around the basket, a good low-post player, plays hard, can definitely give you some solid minutes off the bench. Well, you trade him in the offseason, and you give up a Gerald Green, and you also give up a Miles Plumley. And Gerald Green had a pretty good year for the Phoenix Suns, averaging 15 points per game. I mean, you average 15 points a game for the Phoenix Suns. You don't think you could use that versatility and that athleticism off the bench? for the, You don't think Indiana could use that? Of course they can use that. They definitely could use that, definitely could use that. I mean, Gerald Green had a good year for the Phoenix Suns. And then you look at his minutes, only played 18 minutes last year for the Phoenix, for for 18 minutes per game for the uh, Indiana Pacers. Got 10 more additional minutes per game average, and his points went up, points doubled, 15 points per game. So he went from 7 to 15 points per game. And, you know, he was decent. Decent. And, you know, I, and at the time you thought it was a good move. But obviously Gerald Green had a pretty good year for the Phoenix Suns. And Miles Plumlee had a pretty decent year for the Phoenix Suns. He had a pretty good year. Eight points per game for the Phoenix Suns last season. Decent year. Seven rebounds per game. Decent year. 24 minutes. Per game average, DC year. So you look at that trade, and also you give up a protected first rounder. But you give up that. You look at that trade, and and just look at his number. He didn't get much of an opportunity in, in Indiana, but he was given an opportunity with the Phoenix Suns, and the numbers showed that and he played well for the Phoenix Suns. So the point I'm trying to make that deal. You look back on that deal probably wasn't the best of deals. And then you look back on the Evan Turner and Danny Granger deal, and you you look at it now and you say, again, probably not one of your better deals. So Larry Bird has a decision to make, and his decision is what do you do with Lance Stevenson? We all know Larry Bird loves Lance Stevenson, loves him. But you look at the Indiana Pacers, George Hill, five years, $40 million. He signed that in 2012. Hibbert signed. Four years, $58 million. In that same summer, 2012. And then David West. In 2013, three years, $36.6 million. And then Paul George, five years, max deal in September. So now, now, you have to figure out where do you go from here? Who... Who now and what do you do with Lance Stevenson? I mean, I think it's pretty evident that they need to do something with their point guard, George Hill. Um, Doug Collins said it, I think, best, that George Hill is a combination guard. So um, maybe you put him off the ball and you try to get somebody else. Do you give Lance Stevenson? I mean, Lance Stevenson is a young player. So, you know, obviously there's always that, that opportunity for him to mature and grow. But do you trust him enough? I wouldn't give him a max deal because he's not a max player. But do you trust him enough to give him $10 million a year? Do you trust him enough to, to give him that? And you also got to take a look at there's some teams out here with cap space who might be interested and might be willing to pay Lance Stevenson a good amount of money. I don't know if Philadelphia 76ers have some cap space. Would they be interested in giving Lance Stevenson a good amount of money. I mean, he's volatile. He's, he's obviously a volatile player, but he's a young player, 23 years old. So, you know, that volatility could become less, it could be lessened as he grows older and, and grows as a person, and as a man. At the same time, maybe it doesn't, because money doesn't always make us better people you know, you give somebody the money and now they become their self tenfold. So I look at this and, 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 you know, obviously the respect level between Larry Bird and, and Lance Stevenson is pretty high. There was talk that Larry Bird did tell Lance Stevenson to cut out some of the antics, the blowing in the ear and and things of that nature. But last night touching LeBron's face and, and, the slap on Norris, Norris Cole. And you can argue whether or not it was intentional or not intentional I don't know. But you saw that last night. You saw that at least the touching of the face. The Norris Cole thing, we can give him a pass on that because, you know, maybe he was truly going after the ball. But in terms of LeBron James and the touch in his face, again, as I said earlier, he's trying to get a competitive advantage. But Larry Burr told you to cut those things out. You continue to do them. So, do you really respect Larry Bird if you continue to do the things that he asked you not to do? It's like, do you really respect your daddy if you, continue, if you if you do the things that he's asked you not to do, if you continue to do it? And I don't know if that's necessarily disrespect or is that who you are and, and you are growing and evolving as a person. And, you know, I just think, you know, in terms of um, um, Lance Stevenson, Obviously, he's talented. But what is his ceiling? I mean, is what he averaged this year, 13 points per game, is that his, and these are in regular, these are his regular season numbers, 13 points a game, seven rebounds, four assists, is that who he is? Do you expect those numbers to jump higher? Do those numbers go higher? I don't know. I don't know. Is Lance Stevenson a 20-point scorer a night? I don't think so. I, I think his ceiling is right about where he's at. I mean, I don't I mean, again, he's only 23 years old, 23, so there's always the possibility that he could get better. But I'm looking at his numbers and I'm looking at his ceiling and I'm saying his ceiling may be what? Maybe 15, 17, 16, 17 points a game maybe. That's his ceiling, and, and, you know, the the rebound and assist numbers probably stay the same. Is that where he's probably going to max out at in terms of points per game? And can you you give a guy, can you give a guy Lance Stevenson, you know, the money and, and not expect him to change or be different? Because, again, money, money doesn't always make you a better person. Money does not make you a better person. It really doesn't. And, and so Lance Stevenson, obviously the Indiana Pacers has some decisions to make, and it's a tough decision to make. It's a tough decision to make. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, obviously there's been talk about him being a selfish player And, and, you know, Roy Hibbert talking about there's some selfish dudes in the locker room, and many believe he was talking about Lance Stevenson. So, again, and this is a guy in his final year of his contract. This is a guy in the final year of his contract. So final year of your deal, and, and, you know, you're still doing the same type of things. You're still doing and becoming, you're still a loose cannon, if you will. You're still a loose cannon. Now, once you get paid, is that going to change? Because at that point, guaranteed deal, you kind of control all the cards, if you will. So now you're at control. And do you necessarily have to listen the way you did when you were trying to get that big contract? After you get that big contract, I I can't see paying this guy no more than nine to ten million. I can't. Give him and that's nine to ten million per year. I can't give him 50, I can't give him a max deal. I can't do it. I can't do it. And and you know, obviously Indiana, their team, they're probably not gonna to want to pay the luxury tax. And they've been on record as saying they're not gonna pay the luxury tax. So you're going to have to try to do some things to make your team you know, team, make a team that's going to be able to beat the Miami Heat. Because the Miami Heat are probably not going anywhere, and I think if they win this year, there's always a – you know, I, I, we don't know if they're going anywhere because we don't know the future of LeBron James. We don't know what Dwayne Wade is going to be over the next few years. Chris Bosh said he likes to return to Miami. So, but again, we don't know – what the future is. We don't know what the future may hold. But the Indiana Pacers, here's the thing with that team. The way they're built, they're built in a way to try to beat the Miami Heat from this standpoint. David West, he's a banger, he's a bruiser. Roy Hibbert, you know, so they have the size up front. And that's the Heat weakness. So Indiana can hit the Heat where they're weak. The thing now is with the Indiana Pacers, they can hit the heat where they're weak, but they don't have enough. They don't have enough. I mean, they're hitting the heat where they're they're weak, but the heat is so strong in so many other areas that they're overcoming their weak spot. They're overcoming their weak spots, which is down low. They're overcoming that, and they have overcome that. So the point point is you – the Indiana Pacers, I believe they have to find a point guard, and I also believe they have to find another player, another wing guy who can come off the bench and and score points for you. Another guy that can give you more points, more push, more points. Evan Turner was supposed to be that guy, but it just never came together. Here's the thing about Evan Turner. Evan Turner's best with the ball in his hands. That's when he's at his best. And You know, even when he was, with the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, he was averaging 17 points per game. He was averaging 17 points per game. So he 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 was obviously putting up decent numbers, but you also have to remember the team that he was playing on. He was playing on the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, the Philadelphia 76ers were a team that was bad. And so Evan Turner was putting up 17 shots per game with the Philadelphia 76ers up 17 shots a game. So, you know, when you're, when you're putting up those type, when you have that opportunity to, to put up 17 shots per game, he was putting up 17 shots a game and he was making six of them per game with the Philadelphia 76ers. And that's when he was with the Sixers. So, you know, 54 games with the Sixers, he put up 15 shots per game, excuse me, 15 shots per game, 17 points per game. He only shot 42% from the field. And so the point I'm trying to make is, obviously, he was the best player, one of the better players on a bad basketball team. He goes to Indiana. The minutes go are down. He was averaging close to 35 minutes with the Sixers, averaging only 21 minutes for the Pacers. The minutes go down about 14 minutes per game. I mean, the shots go down. And, you know, he's pretty much... He's been pretty much a non-factor. He's one of, he was a non-factor for the Indiana Pacers. He, he was a non-factor. And they brought him in to be a factor. I mean, you know, there was games against Atlanta where he got some DMPs, two DMPs in the Hawks series. Um, so got some minutes against the Wizards. And he got five DMPs against the Miami Heat. So you look at how many games the Indiana Pacers played, seven, 13, uh, 19 games. He had one, two, three, four, five, six DMPs. So 19 games, and in six of those games, Evan Turner didn't even step on the basketball court. So you brought him in. You brought him in with the thought that he would give you what you needed in terms of an offensive scoring. But I remember Charles Barkley said it. Charles Barkley said that you know, the moment they got Kevin Turner, I remember watching it. He said, "You know what? This puts the Indiana Pacers over the top." This puts the Indiana Pacers over the top. And the way the Pacers were playing at the time, it was kind of hard to argue. It was, you know, it was hard to argue. It really was. You thought throughout the course of this season, because the Pacers set out to get one thing, and that's home court advantage. You thought after they got home court advantage, or at least were in contention for home court advantage, and were on top, was, they were on top of the Eastern Conference for much the whole, pretty much the whole year. <clears throat> and the moment, you know, earlier in the season when they were on top, you were saying to yourself, "There's no way," that not no way, but you thought to yourself, "Okay, this is this might be the year of the Indiana Pacers. This might be the year that the Indiana Pacers finally overtake the Miami Heat." That's what you were thinking. I think that's what all of us were thinking. A lot of us were thinking. Really, a lot of people were thinking that. And. And I, you know, I thought, this, you know, I, I I mean, I I had the Miami Heat making it to the NBA Finals. But I thought Indiana, obviously, I didn't think they would go out the way they went out. But, you know, as the, as the playoffs went on and on, you got the sense that pretty much, as the playoffs went on and on, you got the sense, okay, you know what, when I look at the Indiana Pacers, um, they're going to lose to the Miami Heat. I don't think they're good enough to beat the Miami Heat. And you know, it happened. I said in five, I said in six, and I was right. I said, I was right, but you look at the Indiana Pacers, and they, again, their decision. What do they do with Lance Stevenson? And, and does Lance give them a quote-unquote hometown discount? Does he he give him a hometown discount? I mean, there's a possibility that there might be some teams out here who are willing to give Lance Stevenson or pay Lance Stevenson a lot of money. There are some teams in here who might be willing to pay Lance Stevenson a good amount of money. A good amount of money. And so you look at some teams. I'm, you know, I'm looking at some teams. The Phoenix Suns, they have cap space. They have cap space. Philadelphia 76ers, they also have cap space. The Lakers, I mean, obviously, I think the Lakers have their sights on something bigger than Lance, Lance Stevenson, but they have cap space. They have, you know, the Cavaliers. Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers have cap space. Uh, Orlando Magic have some cap space. Bucks have some space. The Hawks have some space, and the Bobcats have some space. Cap space. So do those teams make a run at Lance Stevenson? Does Lance Stevenson follow the money? Does he follow the money? If those teams show him the money, does Lance Stevenson follow the money? Only time will tell, but the Pacers... They have an interesting offseason coming up. What do you do with Vogel, Frank Vogel? Do you bring him back, Lance Stevenson? Do you bring him back? And if you do, how much? Because on the surface, it's kind of a no-brainer to bring him back. The question is, are you willing to overpay, or do you have to overpay? And also, do you need to upgrade your point guard spot with George Hill? And I think you do. You're the second hour Go For It starting right now. Second hour, go for it, starting right now. In this hour, expected to be joined by St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach and our NBA analyst, Marlon Guild, who's going to give us his take on what he saw last night with Indiana and and, uh, Miami Heat, and also what may happen tonight with OKC and San Antonio. also expected to be joined by rapper, singer Young Scrap, who will join us and talk about some of his new music that's out there, so... uh, Marlon Gill will be coming up in the next five minutes. Young Scrap will be joining us at about 2.35 in this second hour. I want to go to Donald Sterling and the the Miami, not the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, when this whole situation went down with Donald Sterling many weeks ago, excuse me, I was on record as saying that at the end of the day, no matter how much we vilify, chastise, and, and, and talk about Donald Sterling, he was going to be all right financially. I mean, you know because the, 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 you look at you look at um, the Milwaukee Bucks, and they sold for about 550 million dollars, right? So you figured, okay, a team in Milwaukee, 550 million, now a team in LA, you, you figured they would go for about close to a billion dollars, close to a billion dollars. And you look at this whole situation. I mean, what, Forbes, I believe Forbes had, Forbes magazine had the Clippers around roughly $500 million worth. And a lot of people thought that the Clippers would go for about $1 billion. But ultimately, I mean, you know, Steve Ballmer, who has money coming out of his socks, Microsoft guy, Microsoft CEO, former Microsoft CEO, I mean, he has money busting out of his socks. He says, you know what, two billion. I want this team for two billion dollars. And he got it. He got it. Obviously at this point pending approval. But he got it. <clears throat> and so Donald Sterling, who who bought the, the Clippers back in nineteen eighty one for twelve million dollars now, sells the Los Angeles Clippers for two billion dollars. That's a heck of a that's a that's a big time investment there. That's a big-time investment. And so with that investment, now, you know, the, Donald Sterling, in some respect, is coming out better than he probably would have if he just said, you know what, I'm going to sell the team. I'm getting older. Let's just sell the team. He's probably making out better. He's probably making out better. And so, and no, probably. He did make out better. And now... At this point, there's talk that Donald Sterling may even have a touch of Alzheimer's as well. So, But Donald Sterling has filed a lawsuit against the NBA, $1 billion lawsuit. And we'll see how the whole situation plays out. We'll see how the whole situation plays out. But, you know, at this point, you know, and you figure Donald Sterling would fight this thing to the end. He's a fighter he gets things done in in courts. He's a lawyer. You know, and, and in some respect, you know, you don't make or become a billionaire without being a fighter, really. You know, you, you got to have a fighting spirit to make that type of money over the years. You you got to have it. And so and again, you know, you you have, you know, two neurologists who who basically conducted a number of tests on, on Sterling's brain, and, and they're saying that you know he could have had Alzheimer's for the last three to five years. So who knows where his mind is? Who knows where his mind is? I, I guess it's, it's fair to say no matter where his mind is, that one thing that he still remembers is his hatred for, for, for blacks and you know his racist views. I guess he hasn't forgot that. That's one thing for sure. But you look at, you know, this whole situation with Donald Trump. He's a fighter. And, he, and he's going to probably fight this to the end as much as he can. But, I mean, you know, what is there to fight at this point? You've got a $2 billion deal. You know, you've you got more than you expected to get, than you ever expected to get. <clears throat> so we'll see how this whole thing plays out. We'll see how this thing plays out. And and we'll see where this will go. I mean, he has the money to fight it. He has money. Money is on his side. So when you have money, you have resources, you can do a lot of things. So with the money, the resources, we'll see how far he fights this or where this even goes. We'll see where this even goes, if it even goes anywhere. But, again, he has the money. He has the resources. And so we'll see how it happens. We'll see what happens with Donald Sterling. Can't wait till the story's over, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just taken away from a great playoff. And I said this before. But it's taken away from a great playoff run in the NBA. And, you know, you get tired of this story. You know, I want the team to sell so Sterling can get out of the NBA. And, you know, he can walk off with his money and everybody will be happy in the world, can move on again. That, that would be my hope, and that we can start talking about important things in basketball, start talking about on-the-court issues in the game of basketball. Can't wait This thing is over. Can't wait. And we'll see, how this, we'll see how it ends, and we'll see how much. We'll see how much Sterling and his lawsuit. We'll see where it goes, or if it goes anywhere. Speaking of of a guy who's having some legal problems and who is also, Donald Sterling's not really having legal problems, but he is in the courts and fighting in the courts. A guy, Aaron Hernandez, I mean, you look at him, guy's made $18 million over the last three years, and at this point he's having issues and struggling to pay his attorneys. He's struggling to pay his attorneys at this point. And we'll see where this goes, obviously 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 he's going to have to come up with with a big time defense if he's going to have if he wants to beat these charges he's got a lot of charges to beat you know obviously the, the murder of Odin Lloyd and also the murder of the two other guys in 2012 so he has a lot of defending to do a lot of defending to do and it's going to be difficult to defend if you don't have big-time lawyers. I mean, one thing that helped O.J. Simpson, whether you believe he's guilty or not guilty, is he had the quote-unquote dream, dream team of attorneys. And those dream team of attorneys and those resources that O.J. Simpson had essentially got him off. Whether you agree he's innocent, or, not, you're innocent or, 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 not, or guilty, the reality is he had a pretty good defense, and that defense helped him get off. Aaron Hernandez at this point, he's going to need a defense, a big-time defense, if he wants to beat these charges. He's going to need a big-time defense. The evidence against him, I mean, looks like they have some things. Looks like they have some things. So it's going to be difficult if he can't continue to pay those lawyers that he has and and continue to keep – the representation that he has to this point moving forward. It's going to be difficult because those attorney fees get expensive. Attorneys are not cheap. Attorneys are not cheap. And just like in the situation with Donald Sterling and the NBA, the one, people, the, the one group of people that are making out are the lawyers. The lawyers are making out very good. And so in this situation with Aaron Hernandez, you know his lawyers are going to make out good financially, But if he can't pay them, they're going to move on. And if they move on, that's got to hurt the defense for Aaron Hernandez and his ability to defend the charges against him. We're going to go back to the NBA now. We're going to bring in a guy who knows a lot about the NBA, who's been watching these playoffs intently, been watching these playoffs very closely. Let's bring him in now, St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach and also our NBA analyst, Marlon Gilder. Marlon.
2: Hey, Paul, how you doing, man? How's everything? Everything's good. How are you? Uh, doing all right, man, doing all right. Uh, hanging out, watching some TV, watching uh, some games from this past week, man, and, and trying try to perfect my craft. Good. <laughs> That's all you can do. That's all you
4: can
1: do. Marlon, let's start with what we saw last night. I mean, the Miami Heat in dominating fashion, I mean, they just blew out the Indiana Pacers. And the Pacers just didn't come out with a certain sense of urgency. I guess the only guy that really did come out with a sense of urgency in Game 6 was Lance Stevenson. Tell us what you saw in Game 6,
2: Heat-Pacers. Well, for the Pacers, what I saw in Game 6 is everything that I've seen in Game 2, Game 3, Game 4, Game 5. It almost looks like they were just happy to be there. Uh, The one thing, if you watched, you know, from game two on, uh, you know, the Pacers would get a big lead and go up and, you know, people were excited, like, hey, this is the end of Miami. But what's the one thing that Miami did every time the Pacers had a big lead? By the time you looked at the end of the quarter, they were only up maybe four or five, six points, you know, and, and they were able to, you know, stretch leads throughout the game. 16, 17 points, but every time that quarter ended, you know they were only down six. So it's like you know the Pacers are doing everything in their power to put themselves in position to win, and you know Miami just has the on switch to say, hey, let's let's get it done. Um, I, I thought what was uh, very important that nobody really paid attention to well, two things. I'd say game four, if you watched. Roy Hibbert's uh, halftime interview with uh, Doris Burke, I believe it was. But I, my uh, Indiana was up six, I believe, and you could just sense, and the Hibbert's tone of voice, that they didn't expect to win that game. And Hibbert didn't. I don't think the Pacers did. And Miami expected to win the game. You know, it was just one of those things. And maybe it's me being a coach that I can see that. But, uh, Mm you know, I thought game four they didn't expect to win. Think about how well the Pacers played in game five. You know, if Chris Ross wins that three, last night's massacre isn't even talked about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought thought the Pacers were, you know, for them, you know, like I said all along, this was their finals. I, I honestly believe that, you know, that they were looking at beating the Heat as them winning a championship. And, you know, it just shows how how long of a way they, they have to go. Uh can they do that? I am not sure. You know, you know the last Stevenson will be a free free agent after uh in the off season. Uh you know, I think they need a point guard. George Hill isn't necessarily the answer. Uh they right. brought in Evan Turner and, and he they brought in Evan Turner specifically for the Miami Heat Series and he didn't even play. Uh, you know, granted, I understand, you know, he had the uh, he was sick, he was ill a little bit, but still, all, all these things, you know, and, and Paul George, uh, earlier early on in the year, I had him as a, you know, maybe a, a top-tier guy in this league, and after this series, I would probably have to bump him to a second, maybe even third-tier superstar in, in the NBA. Uh, for as good as he was in Game 5, he was just as bad Game 4 and Game 6. He, he disappeared. He definitely
1: disappeared. And he was he was stellar in, in game number five. And you you talked about um, Evan Turner and what they did. I mean, like like you said, they brought the thing is the thing that they're missing is the things that they tried to bring in to to help what they're missing in terms of Evan Turner. He was the guy that was supposed to give them a scoring punch off the bench, and it just never materialized. And I think personally just watching Evan Turner, he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands a lot to be effective. And when he was in Philadelphia putting up the numbers that he was putting, he was averaging 17 points per game, that was a situation to me where best player on a bad team type of situation. So, right. I mean, you know, I wonder really truly what Evan Turner is as an NBA player moving forward.
2: Uh, you know, that's a very interesting, uh, interesting point, point that you made. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, we talk about as coaches and just people in the profession, on a bad team somebody has to score, you know. So you have somebody like Evan Turner who's put up, like you said, 17 points a game in Philly and probably says, well, you know, I think I should recognize with these other guys that, that are in the league. Well, it's like, hey, man, you played on the Sixers. You know, if you were averaging 17 points a game and, and your team was, you know, even 42 and – Forty-two and forty, you know, if, if, if they ended the season that way, maybe, you know, people could say, okay, he's taking a step into that upper echelon uh, group, but that, that's not the case. And um, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, I, I was a big Emerton fan uh, coming out of Ohio State. Um, I, I spoke highly of him, you know, going to the Sixers, you know, but something something happened along the way. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, if he started feeling himself a little bit, what what was going on. But, you know, it's not that's not the same Evan Turner that I saw at Ohio State. And I understand, you know, college is different from the NBA, but, you know, it, it's all, it almost seems as if he started feeling himself a little bit too much. Uh, but, like you said, on a bad team, somebody's got to score. So, you know, right. going forward, you know, with, with Evan Turner, I'm not sure where he fits in, man, and I'll say this. How big was the loss of Danny Granger? Uh, I said
1: that that before you came on. I
2: I think that that was big. You know, you had a guy, not not even for what he does on the court, but off the court, in the locker room. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. he's a guy that's professional. Uh, You know, and you had a combination of him and maybe – a David West, maybe Lance Stevenson doesn't do some of the things that he does. Okay. Uh Yeah, those guys, those guys are stepping up, but if you look at that team, you know, Paul George is, is 24, Roy Hibbert's 26, 27, uh, George Hill is still a young guy, Evan Turner's a young guy, uh Well, C.J. Watson is a young guy, you know, but all of these guys are guys that are, you know, not guys that are if I say something, they're going to listen, you know. And I think all those guys fit that fit that role, you know, that they're more, hey, I'm just going to do the right thing because I know that it's the right thing to do. They're not a lead by example kind kind of guys. And yeah. I, I think, you know, losing Granger was big, and you saw it in this series, and and even towards the end of the season, you know, when the Pacers slipped up a little bit, and you know that. Got into the playoffs, but you know nobody expected them to. Uh, hey, look, look at it this way: they should have lost to the Hawks, and they probably could have lost against the Wizards. I mean, yeah, it, it
1: was. They were very fortunate that they ran, that they ran into a Hawks team, a sub 500 team, and, and a team they obviously should have beat. They're not a very good basketball team. They were fortunate they ran into the Hawks, and very fortunate they ran into a Wizards team that, to me, inexperienced and really didn't know how to close out basketball games. And I was fortunate for the Indiana Pacers they were that they were able to play those two teams to get to the point where they were at and at the ultimate Eastern Conference Finals ultimately they lose Lance Stevenson I mean a lot of talk about him some of his antics whether blowing in LeBron James's ear whether talking about LeBron James and saying that his trash talking is getting into LeBron James's head whether what we saw last night slapping LeBron James's face what's your thoughts you're a coach what's your thoughts on, on a player doing what Lance Stevenson did Quite frankly, other than the going to the media and talking about that he's in LeBron James's head, I didn't have too much of a problem with what, the, what he did to LeBron James because I thought it was a, a him trying to get some kind of competitive advantage against a guy who, quite, quite frankly, is more talented than he is. What's your thoughts on what you saw from Lance Stevenson
2: and his antics? Uh, well, first, I- I'm going to say this. That's what us Brooklyn guys do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's that simple. That that's what we do. You know, we understand how to control the game from our standpoint, both ways, controlling what we can control from ourselves on the court, but also trying to get into your opponent's head. And I, I think that's what you saw fr- from last this series. And uh, just throughout his career, but now at at the same time, I'll say this. Uh, Do I condone it? I mean, I don't have a problem with it. If if you're going to back it up, you know, I'm not going to have a problem with it because if you looked at the rest of the team that the Pacers had out there on the floor, nobody else was going to step up and do it. You you know, uh, last night I I thought they all gave up after the first quarter. So, you know, Lance was the only one that – looked like he wanted to be there and was going to do whatever he had to do to uh, try to get his team over the hump and, and fight and get back into into that game. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I'll say this. Lance is now 0-2 with, with those shenanigans. Uh, it's funny, I was watching <laughs> the game last night with, with a friend, and I said to him, Lance Stevenson right now, it's looking like Xavier McDaniel compared to Michael Jordan in the 92 Semis, the Knicks versus the Bulls. Uh, you know, X-Man went toe-to-toe with Mike, and, you know, X-Man is as tough as they come. And if I'm not mistaken, Mike closed the Knicks out that year in six games. In game six in Chicago, it was the right. same thing. Uh, you know, you, you never, never want to wake up a sleeping giant, Um, and I forget the uh, the analogy that Coach Wolfe would use last night, but this is the second time Lance has done this, and, uh, you know, it hasn't worked out in his favor. The first time was uh, in high school against O.J. Mayo at the ABCD camp. (laughs) You know, he he tried to come at O.J. sideways, as you like to say out here uh, in the street, tried to come at him sideways, and, you know, O.J. took care of him at ABCD camp uh, almost 10 years ago. And it was the same thing again last night and, and for the series. I, I mean,
4: you know,
2: Lance did everything that he could, you know, to try to play LeBron and you know, last night you knew that LeBron was gonna come out and do something spectacular. Uh you know, game game five you know, the five thousand, thirteen minutes or whatever the number was. You knew last night he was gonna come out and have a big game and, and he started early. It was early and all. Sure. I thought I thought, you know, Coach Bolstra did a great job with getting LeBron the ball with ISO plays, and, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. You know, LeBron catches a lot of flack for being a team player and, and having a high IQ. But, you know, last night it was just like, hey, I'm just going to take over this game and see what happens. And, man, um, I- I'll tell you this as well. Uh, I ended up catching, you know, I'm, I'm showing sure my age a little bit. I, I caught Michael George towards the tail end of his career when I really understood the game of basketball, but watching LeBron play is something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to telling my kids that I saw this guy play. Uh, hands down, no. I, I think he might be one of the top five players of all time when it's all said and done. and you know, he catches flat for the decision and things like that. But let's not uh, forget, this will be his fourth finals, I believe, with Miami, five overall. In a row. Yeah. And, and, and he's been in the league, is it 10 years, ten, eleven 11 years? Think about how many guys haven't done that. You know, a lot of the greats haven't done that. Uh, so for him to have that number and have a chance to win a third championship, you know, you got to give him his respect, and like I said, it's something that I'm looking forward to telling my kids uh, when it's all said and done, like, hey, I got to watch this guy, you know, from the beginning of his career to the end, and, and it was special, and it's been a special ride watching this guy play.
1: We're talking to NBA analyst and St. Peter's assistant basketball coach Marlon Gil. And Marlon, you know, moving forward now with the Pacers, what do you do? I mean, Lance Stevens is a free agent. You know, we saw some of his antics. We, to me, I mean, Lance Stevens averaged 13 points a game, several rebounds, close to five assists a game. To me, I look at Lance Stevenson and I'm saying, does it get any better than that? And I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe 15, 16 points per game, rebound and assist numbers probably stay the same, but that's not that's not a max guy to me. What do you do with Lance Stevenson if you're the Indiana Pacers? I think, I mean, you look at the Pacers, you know, they're tied in to Wes, to Hill, to Hibbert, to Paul George. To me, you know, they're they're in a tough position here. What do you do if you're the Pacers?
2: Uh, Well, you know what, I look at the Pacers almost like uh, since of the late 80s, early 90s, you know, this is probably the furthest that they can go with this particular squad that they have. Uh, you know, I, I think Lance is probably the biggest hole that they'll have to take care of this year, Uh this offseason, I should say. Um, Prior to the season, I, I thought that, you know, for Lance, maybe a six-year deal at $42 million, you know, w- would have been ideal. But then you start looking at, you know, certain numbers. You look at George Hill gets $8 million a year. Well, if I'm last, I'm saying I'm better than him. So okay. I, I deserve more, more than that, you know. So the way the market is set up, he's going to get a deal for maybe $10 million a year, and I you know. And I may, maybe it's rightfully so, you know, uh, with, with what he should get. I mean, yeah, the, the points are, you know, a, a good, you would say, role player. Points for everything else that he does, man, you know, can't be overlooked. I mean, he led the NBA in triple doubles this year. You know, he was the only guy that really stepped up all five games for the Pacers, for all six games, excuse me, for the Pacers. Didn't back down. You now, I'd probably say David West as well, you could put into that category, but, you know, there's five guys on the court. And he was one of two that uh, stepped up for the Pacers all six games. So you have to try and keep them. Um, But I I was joking with a buddy of mine last night, I said, watching the game, and I said it it would be the Knicks luck that he signs in New York and it all goes downhill. Uh, I can so see that happening. Uh, It's just what we do as as a Knicks fan. That's just what happens to us. Um, But I, I would love for Lance to stay in Indiana. I think it's uh you know, it's not a big time market so he doesn't get into too much trouble. Uh you know, he's got Larry Bird there who's a big advocate for him. And, and you know, it it's good to see guys finish what they started. It, you know real quick. So, mm, no, no, I'm just sorry. more Make so it? for him. I, I I would love to see him stay in Indiana, but you know, money talks as you we know.
1: For sure. Real quickly now, OKC San Antonio tonight, Game Six. Who wins that series?
2: Uh, I'm going to say San Antonio, only because I'm sticking with my prediction. I I, I pick the uh, Spurs in six, and I, I think they're 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 up for the challenge. You know, they they want some rest too before Thursday comes, and they've been looking forward to trying to meet up with Miami since Ray Allen shot uh, last year. So I'm I'm going to pick the Spurs tonight to close this thing out.
1: And we'll leave it right there. Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Can't wait to do it again.
2: No problem, man. As always, thanks for having me.
1: Take care. Marlon Guild, St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach, our NBA analyst, breaking it down like no other and letting us know his thoughts on what happened last night with Indiana and Miami, and also what may happen with San Antonio, and OKC, okay, a lot of great basketball that has been played, and a lot of great basketball that will be played. You're listening to Go For It, and Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but just that doesn't see
3: mean it. anything
1: in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was uh, trying to throw you. Know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can Kept married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen
0: it.
1: I would never bring my wife around too I I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not (laughs) Rocky. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) We're about to bring in a guy now doing some big things on the music scene. He has a hit single out right now that's doing some big things, No Love. Let's bring him in now, rapper, singer, writer, Young Scrap.
2: Hey, young what's Scrap, going?
1: who are you? Hey, How are you? How How you feeling, man? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Young Scrap, we're going to start with the NBA playoffs. I know you're a big NBA guy. You're a Los Angeles guy. Lakers or Clippers? How Lakers all day. Okay, Lakers all day. Rough season for the Lakers. But let's go to these NBA playoffs and what we saw. <laughs> Last night, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on what you saw? Pacers, Miami Heat, LeBron James, and the Heat advance to the NBA Finals.
3: You want to know something? That game got so bad towards the point when they when, when they were just about up forty. I turned the channel. It, it got that bad <laughs> to me, and I I really wanted see Pacers pull this one out because I'm I'm anti Miami. It's not it, it's not that I'm anti LeBron. I'm anti Miami. I think LeBron's an awesome player, but I just uh, I, I I think the hype is. It just isn't what it's what it is right now. You know, I think OKC deserves um, at this point, you know, a championship under their belt, especially with them having KD. I think uh, only thing holding OKC back right now maybe Westbrook. So you're saying that the Miami Heat get no love from young scratch? Nah, no, no love at all. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. No love at
1: all. <laughs> Let me ask you this: you, you you saw Lance Stevenson? I mean, touching LeBron James's face and blowing in LeBron James's ear. Your thoughts on that?
3: I thought it was hilarious. I'm not going to lie. He's, 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 he's having fun. He's trying to psych him out whether it works or not. He really got inside of LeBron's head. You could tell when he snapped yesterday when he touched LeBron's face. When LeBron finally snapped, Lance was like, oh, yeah, I got you. But I think what that did for LeBron was put him in the beast mode last night. I'm not going to lie. It, put him, it, it, worked, it worked the game before that. You know, LeBron, I, what, he only scored six points that game?
1: Uh, I think he had that, around,
3: that, yeah, about seven points. Yeah, around, around, around like seven points. So, I mean, I think, I think it, it actually worked for a point. LeBron's not used to people toying with him that much. He's used to people being so petrified about getting ducked on or, or shook or LeBron doing something spectacular while he's guarding that he's not used to people trying to fight him out. So I felt like that was the first time somebody really got to him. I felt like the following game, he was ready for it. He knew what he was going to try to do, and he prepped himself right. properly for that whole situation.
1: Let me ask you this. You're on a basketball court right now, and, and, and somebody slaps you in the face the way Lance Stevenson slapped LeBron or blows in your ear the way Lance Stevenson blew in LeBron
3: James' ear. How would you react? I uh, don't know. He smacked me in, the, uh, in my face and getting suspended for three to four games. Um, I'm swinging. <laughs> I'm, I'm but, I mean, blowing in my ear, I, pro- I probably try to ignore it. I probably try to ignore it. It's, it but, but, I mean, you smacked me in my face. We, we got to fight. Those, 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 that, that is, that, that's just emotion that you want to fight me. You smack me in my face. Right. But see, I don't like, what I saw, it looked more like he was rubbing his hand across his face to distract him from the inbound. That's really what I got from it. And LeBron, like, snapped, because it wasn't like LeBron said, hey, don't smack me. He said, don't touch my face. You get what I'm saying? So, I felt like, I felt like it wasn't more of a smack emotion, but rub across the face. But, I mean, at the exact same time, that still might have been a fighting notion for me, too. So, you know. I I'm I, might, I might talking, have to go for a go
1: couple ahead. games. We're talking to rapper and singer young scrap. Let me ask you this. Who wins the NBA Finals? Who who gets it
3: all done when it's all said and done? You you wanna know something? I think the Spurs are gonna get it done, but I would like to see O K C take it. I think the Spurs okay. are gonna get it done this year. Yeah. I don't I don't see uh I don't see uh I don't know. I, I really can't see the O K C getting past the Spurs quite honestly, uh, especially, you know, when they lost Ibaka. But uh, now that he's back, I mean, they have a slight chance of it, and if they can make it happen, I, 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 you know, I'm 110% for it. But I know the Spurs, they've just been together for so long. They play so well together. It's, it's, it's kind of it's, it's crazy. Now, Young Scrap, you got a new song out, No Love. The
1: Miami Heat get No Love, but you got a hot single nah. out, No Love, and seri- has some serious buzz right now. Tell us about it.
3: It does, you know. No love actually came about when um, I was I was working on my mixtape series, um, and you know it was a random song I did. Um, I was just in the zone, you know, uh, feeling some type of way, in particular about a female that was, you know, debating my our dating situation, and mm-hmm. um, then the record got done. You know, it was it was just like um, she saying we were together, we were dating, we were doing this, and. You know, any anybody that asked, blog sites, etc. She, you know, she was telling me she was dating me, and that's how the song came about. Now, I didn't expect the song to actually do exactly what it's doing right now, to grab the notoriety and attention that it's getting right now. But, you know, you gotta love it. That's that, that's why we make the music.
1: Now, you got another song that's out there that's big in the West Coast uh, club scene, and that is "Love Me." What does it feel? What yeah, does it feel Lo- like, love man? Love La. Uh, love La. I'm sorry. What's it, what's it feel like, man, when you when you're in the club and and Love LA comes on and and, and people are dancing to your music? What's it feel like for you?
3: You want to know something? It's it, it's it's an amazing feeling because um, but but before this whole music thing, I actually had nothing, like literally nothing, and you know it was it was just I wanted to see you know. I wanted my music to be heard, whether the fame came with it or not. I want the music to be heard. So when I walk into the club and the DJ say, "Shout out to Young Scrap, and instantly he drops one of my songs and "Love LA" come on, and I see people in the club dancing. It's, it's kind of like a surreal feeling. Like man, people actually like my music. Someone besides me likes my music. You know? Right.
1: And people are buzzing. People are buzzing, man. People are buzzing. Yeah, people out are talking about it.
3: That's always a good.
1: and let me ask you this. I mean, you're from LA. You're a West Coast guy.
3: Who are your musical inspirations, man? Oh man, you know I gotta take it back to the Dre and Snoop, the N W A and then you know, I have my I have my underground favorites. I used to um I used to be big into battle rap and when I was Jen, um, not even sure if you heard of him, he's an Asian rapper, really big and
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had a huge
3: uh, battle buzz and that was one of my favorites, uh back when he was with Rough Riders and whatnot and I still listen to his music that he does. Um so, you know, like, I, I, I have a lot of my favorites, and I got to take it back to, you know, the DMX. And, you know, just it's, it's, a, it's a lot of weird musical influences in between there once we get outside of the West Coast region. People are like, yeah, we understand Dre and Snoop, but then you, you, you went directly to DMX after that? Yeah, I don't know. There's something about the Damians that he put together that is just a formula. You got, you got to sit down, and once you listen to DMX music, you're like, how did he do this? Like, he really okay. put together this amazing formula and made hit albums, not just hit singles. He made hit albums. Right, he did have a formula that worked. Yeah, and and it, and it really worked for him, and it, it was a weird formula that nobody really else can ever duplicate. You know, so yeah, for sure, for sure, I was a big
1: DMX guy, definitely, definitely loved DMX, and uh, you know, to see him fall off the way he's falling off, kind of tough to see. Yeah.
3: Yeah, you know, um, it it, it kind of sucks. But you want to know something? Every it, everything comes in phases. I was I was watching this Timberlake interview the other day, and he said he produced Justin Timberlake's whole album. They were sitting on top of the world with that My Love record, and he charged Justin Timberlake a half a million dollars just for that My Love track. And he said three months later, he was trying to shop beat the artist, and labels told him that his sound wasn't in anymore, and that he wasn't the go to huh? guy anymore. And he was like, huh? "You mean to tell me?" I went from producing a whole album, selling tracks for half a million dollars, and mean to tell me I'm not the go-to guy anymore. He was like, and it was nonetheless three albums. Uh, three months after the album came out, he was like, people come, people go. But you see, Timberland Sound is right back in now. He's winning again. For sure. I mean, sounds coming, and go, and I think DMX once he reestablishes his self and his sound, I think, I think, he'll, I think he'll be golden. But he, he, he's he's kind of losing track of his self right now with his new music. He's, right. not, he's not DMX that people want to hear anymore. He's trying to be the DMX that he thinks everybody wants to hear instead of just being his self. We're talking to actor,
1: rapper, excuse me, not actor, rapper, singer, Young Scrap. And, and Young Scrap, man, I mean, obviously, you stepped on the scene with that mixtape series. Music, You Can Bleep, two series. I mean, that series really... <laughs> gave you a name, and you were nominated for the Best Mixtape Series. Tell us what yeah. that mixtape did for your career. What did it do for you?
3: Man, you want to know something crazy? I, I, his, how the mixtape came about one day. A song came on. I was actually, no lie, listening to Pretty Ricky. They put out the Late Night Special album. And um, I was like, man, you want to know something? If somebody could like, like, come up with a formula just like this, and I was like, they continue winning. Pretty Ricky broke up. We can all continue winning. And my friend was like, you do. You sing and you rap. I was like, yeah, but that's not for me. He said, nah, you can make it work. And I was like, oh, what can I call it? What can I call it? And then that title was actually set in the beginning. When the song came on, he was like, that's perfect. So I went in and I started working on it. The first song I got done was called Watch Me Work. Now, as soon as I got that track done, I realized that I could actually do something with this. I had the amazing form that I could put together. And the way that everybody reacted to it you know you put together good artwork and you put together good music and you put together a solid title that's how mixtapes feed you know okay Pe- people's okay. like huh i like this make a girl on the cover of music we can fuck to. i know what i'm getting into i know what i'm getting right. into so it just the way it feeded off it is amazing i'm really happy that everything came together the way that it did
1: now you look at that mixtape and just talk about the whole mixtape scene what, what, what do you have to do in terms of establish yourself, establishing yourself
3: on that mixtape scene? You want to know something? You need, you need the good support uh, uh, of a support team. Uh, I had DJ Grady okay. and DJ Iceberg who heavily believed in what I was doing. They said, man, you got talent. You just got to gotta get the talent together the right way. And they were just like, you got to come up with a formula. You got to create a sound. So what I created was was this melodic R&B sound for myself. Um, and it worked, you know, um, almost almost the same formula I driver would use, except I'm more of a singer, you know. Okay. Um, and once, once, like, like you, you have to create an image or perception of yourself so people go know, know going in exactly what they're getting into, which is why I did five different copies of the mixtape, you know, parts one through five. And that's why I was nominated for Best Consistent Mixtape Series because people knew what they were getting into. They loved the sound, you know. I gave this mixtape away for free, and each one, Only one I haven't put on iTunes was part three because it had a whole bunch of samples in it that we couldn't clear. But uh, they sold a couple thousand units. You mean to tell me a mixtape that I've been giving away for free, each one of these has sold 20, 24, 27,000 units? It's crazy. So, I mean, you know, you you made a whole bunch of mixtapes, you know, one
1: through five series. You made that in a short amount of time. You you had to be heavily in the studio at that point in time (laughs) in your life.
3: I was, I was living in the studio, and the crazy part is, each one of these mixtapes have about what, 18 to 24 songs on them, 18 wow. to 24 songs on them, and I think I've been got one through five within a two-year two time yeah. frame while still writing for other artists. Um, I wrote, you know, I was writing for B- uh, VIC and, you know, other artists, and, you know, I got my Billboard Time 100 through him, and that really put me in a uh, position where people were going to listen to
1: Okay, okay. We're talking to rapper and singer Young Scrap. And talk about that hit song that you made twerking for VIC. I mean, you talked about what it did
3: for you. Who is Young Scrap the writer? Young Scrap the writer is a very versatile writer. I do pop, pop music. I go all the way over to rock music. I'll come back over and do dubstep music. I'll come back over and I do hip-hop music. I do music. That I would never really be able to put out myself because, like I said, once you develop the brand and a sound for yourself, they have a perception and an image and a sound of you. So, um, you know, I, I, it's 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 more enjoyable. It's like, man, I can't wait to hear somebody else attempt to do this, or I can't wait when it's come out because I know when this drops, it's going to be something major. And you know, I've uh, this, when that record came out, I'm not going to lie, I sat on that record for about two years. I was trying to decide whether or not I should put it put it out myself or not. And finally, v s c called me. He was like, I need that record. I gave it to him and, you know, it, it reached what, number 56, Billboard Top 100. And, I mean, it put me in a position to say, yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, we've been nominated for this, that, and the third. And it it made the labels take everything that much more serious. It made the labels pick up their phone and call and inquire about what I was doing and, you know, who could I write with? And I'm co-writing with other people and, you know, I'm putting together other tracks for other artists. And, you know, it just it, it, it kind of created a demand. And, you know, you got to love it. Vic is actually a good friend of mine, and I appreciate him, you know, doing what he did for me. So it, it, it meant a lot, but that, that actually helped boost everything that I've been doing, definitely. Let me ask you this. I mean, you,
1: you talked about, you know, you, we were talking about Young Scrap, the writer. W- what is your inspiration? Is it just life events? Is it things you see on TV, something you read? What inspires your writing?
3: you want to know something, I, somebody asked me this question uh, uh, the other day, and I think it's everyday events. When I, when I go out into these clubs and I see, you know, girls acting a certain way, it, it also helped inspire no love on top of my uh, previous dating situation or, you know, twerk it. Actually, you know, the inspiration actually came behind that because I, I, I had a female friend with a very, very, very good speaking voice, and what I mean by that is her voice sounded very seductive and worked and actually inspired the whole track. Like it was okay. just like I just love your voice. I, I like I can hear it on something. I'm just not sure how I'm gonna do it. So I sat down and I came up with a formula. And, you know, after being inside of the club night in night out, you you kind of develop a sound. You know what people want to hear. So, I mean, it's it's just everyday events. Everyday events.
1: I guess you blew some sweet nothing.
3: Nothing's into your ear.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little Lance Stevenson like. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. I mean, obviously you're doing it big on the mixtape scene. Obviously you're writing hits.
3: Where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh man, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that at the end of the day, you know, um, I'm at least two, two, two to three albums in five years from now. You know, doing hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. You know, I mean, uh, two hundred thousand. You know. Charge for events and all that other good stuff, and and fifty thousand seater arenas and you know amazing stuff like that. I would love to. I I I'm not not I would love to see it. I know that's going to be the fact five years from now. My team grinds so hard. My my promotional team Kenyatta he made sure that when Love LA dropped he heard it. He was like I love this record. He said it's the summertime anthem for LA. I'm gonna make it happen. And everybody's playing it in the club. You know I walk into the club, Young Scraps here, Love LA, and of course DJ Mustard producing it just boosted that much more to it. So.
1: Okay, right. So everything is good. Life is good for Young Scrap. Where can fans find information about all the great things going
3: on with Young Scrap? Oh man, we got the. We actually put the official website up. It's YoungScrapLab.com. The Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, the everything's listed on that website. We're gonna even start list listing merchandise and all that other good stuff on the website too.
1: Yeah, I saw some sneakers.
3: Yeah, I, d- I have a collaboration sneaker out, but hey, Dave. Uh, that time, it was amazing. Okay. I actually designed my first shoe. That, that, that was a different experience for me. I love the fashion scene. So when I got to design my first shoe, when I'm putting everything together, I didn't realize how much really goes into it. At first, I'm like, I'm going to just pick some colors and we're going to throw them in a shoe. And then we got into it. It's like, look, what do you want? Here, 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 we need the gold color of this. We need the outline of this. We need to know how you want to insignia the shoes, man. Okay? I mean, it's fun now. I have other companies approaching me about doing some collaborations, and I mean, it's amazing.
1: So you're writing, you're singing, you're 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 rapping, you're you're making clothes. Anything else? What's next for you? Acting? What's next for Young Scrap?
3: Oh man, I I, I the the merchandising baby. Okay. Yeah, we 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 got to do the merchandising. I'm gonna have a clothing line coming out called Forever Cool, mm-hmm. and um. You know, they are going to design shirts, male, female, tank tops, T-shirts, you know, hopefully maybe even dra- travel into the pants. But, I mean, the fashion world is, is, is for the taking definitely right now. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited, so fans, man. It's, it's just the beginning. For sure. Fans, support all the great things
1: going on with Young Scrap. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Young Scrap. He does like gummy bears and a lot of other few things that he talks <laughs> about on his Twitter page. So, fans, make sure you support all the great things going on with Young Scrap. Young Scrap, pleasure talking
3: yep. to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Hey, thank you, boss. I appreciate you even having me on the show. We got to make sure we do this again, so. For, for sure. Take care. All right, you do the same, boss. Fine. Young Scrap,
1: rapper, singer, doing some big things in the music world right now. Make sure you support all the great things going on with Young Scrap. Another eight minutes left in the show. Um, you know, you look at the way the season ended for the Indiana Pacers and 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 just the changes they need to make. And and Marlon talked about it, you know, with with Danny Granger, how important that was and just this team moving forward. I mean, the fortunate thing for the Indiana Pacers, they are in the Eastern Conference. I know some of the teams in the Eastern Conference are getting better, but are they gonna get that much better? And the thing about the, the the Indiana Pacers at this point, if you rolled out the ball again this next season with this ball club, it's still probably a 50 win team, and also still probably a team that probably would lose to the Miami Heat in the NBA playoffs. And I think Marlon made a great point in terms of talking about um, talking about this team and you know how they uh, pretty much he felt like their their NBA final was the conference final. Their whole season was predicated upon beating the Miami Heat. That was their season. And, and first of all, their, their whole season, you, you know, the talk wasn't about championship. more so the talk about let's get home court advantage. And, you know, he, he brought up the 1992 Knicks, 92-93 Knicks, I should say, and they had home court advantage. And they couldn't get past the Chicago Bulls. And Frank Vogel said it last night, the Miami Heat are turning into the Chicago Bulls, uh, a team that Reggie Miller couldn't get by a team that Patrick Ewing couldn't get by. You know, they're turning into that team, a team that Carl Malone couldn't beat, a team that Barkley could not beat. You know, they're turning into that team. Clyde Drexler couldn't beat the Bulls of the 90s. They're turning into that team, the Miami Heat. The key question is what will happen with Dwayne Wade. I think the Miami Heat can be vulnerable at some point. The question is when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? (sighs) I mean, LeBron James isn't slowing down anytime soon. And if he comes back to Miami, Chris Bosch comes back to Miami, and then, you know, Dwayne Wade, I mean, the key is Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade to me has always been the X factor when you talk about the Miami Heat. Dwayne Wade has always been the X factor. And when it comes to the Miami Heat and Dwayne Wade being the X factor, you know, I look at his game and you you look at how they how the Dwayne Wade maintenance plan and how they pretty much did what they had to do to keep him fresh for the playoffs. They did what they had to do to keep this guy fresh for the playoffs. Their their motive, you know, wasn't getting the number 1 seed in the Eastern Conference. Their thing was making sure that obviously they're competitive, obviously they get the second or third seed. And their main thing was keeping Dwayne Wade fresh and healthy. That was their goal. I mean, LeBron James is a beast. He's a monster, and he, he can go big-time minutes. Dwayne Wade's a different story. He's a guy that, you know, you've got to do some things in terms of maintenance to make sure that Dwayne Wade is healthy enough to be the Dwayne Wade that they need him to be to be successful. I mean, played what, 28 games in a regular season. 28 games. I mean, missed 28 games, I should say, in a regular season. Play 54 of them. You know, play, play 54 out of the 82 games. But the thing is, now you have a guy who's fresh. Now you have a guy who, who's able to take your team moving forward to, to high places. You have a guy who... It's fresh, and that's what you need. You need Dwayne Wade to be at the top of his game if you want to beat the OKCs and the San Antonio Spurs of the world. That's what you need. We'll see. I mean, I think San Antonio is a harder matchup for Miami because just like what the Indiana Pacers were, the Spurs can hit the heat where they're weak. And that is, you know, down low. Splitter and Duncan, and those boys can hit the heat down, especially Duncan, can hit the heat down low where they're soft and susceptible. You know, and just like the Pacers they had with West and Hibbert. So the point is, the Spurs can hit them with Duncan, hit them with Splitter, but then they can also hit them with Kawhi Leonard on the wing, Tony Parker. And if Ginobili is, and Ginobili had an awful NBA Finals a year ago, but if Ginobili is, is somewhat right, he's another guy that can hit the Miami Heat. So that's the difference between the Spurs and the Indiana Pacers. The Spurs have what you know, the down low guys and Splitter and and Duncan and those guys, but they also have wing players who make it who can also make it hard on you. The Indiana Pacers, you know, Paul George, he's a star but he's not a superstar. Lance Stevenson had a decent year. Coming into his own, you know. But the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. I think moving forward, the Pacers are going to have to do something. They're going to have to figure this out. They're going to have to figure this out to figure out what they can do to get by the Miami Heat. And I think moving forward to the NBA Finals, the the Miami Heat, I think, would probably want to play OKC because OKC is similar to their style of play. I mean, OKC doesn't have anybody down low. Perkins and Abaka are now back-to-the-basket guys. So, you know, a lot of their stuff is done on the outside. They go from the outside in. So I I, I look at this, and, and, you know, I think the Miami Heat would rather play OKC, but... If they play San Antonio, I wouldn't be. I'm not upset who, with whoever the Miami Heat play because I'll be happy with the finals matchup because I believe it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a real good NBA final, whether it's OKC, whether it's San Antonio. I, I'm looking forward to it, and I will be watching for sure, no matter who it is. But I think no matter who it is, it's going to be a pretty good NBA final, and there's a lot of great basketball to be played. There's a lot of basketball, great basketball that's been played to this point. And I think it's going to be a lot of basketball, great basketball. It's going to be played moving forward. We shall see. We shall see. We'll see how it happens, man, because it should be very interesting. Just a couple quick points, quick hits, if you will. Dallas Cowboys, Sean Lee in the OTAs. We talked about it with uh, Jermon Bush. We at least brought it up. But, you know, staying healthy during those OTAs. But you have the situation with uh, Sean Lee. Now he's out for the year with an ACL injury. That's going to be a big blow for the Dallas Cowboys in their defense. That's a big blow. That's a big blow. And they weren't really able to replace him when he went down last season. They're going to have a hard time replacing him this season. Also, Josh Gordon caught speeding. and also caught having marijuana in the car. This is a guy who's already in trouble and already facing, uh, facing a possible long suspension with the NFL. Now this guy is driving in a car, driving in a car, stopped for speeding, and has marijuana in the car, and so who knows what will happen with Josh Gordon. I mean, he's facing a season-long suspension. Now he's in the car still riding dirty, uh, you know, riding in the car with somebody with marijuana in the car. I mean, come on. You've you got to do better than that, Josh Gordon. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, we can argue whether or not marijuana should be legal or illegal, but, you know, that it's one thing to, to argue that, but it's another thing to be stupid And obviously, smoking weed when you know it's illegal and could affect your money is stupid. But driving in a car when you're facing a possible long season-long suspension, and also driving in a car, uh, driving fast in a car, when you have marijuana in the car, is not very good. Not very good. And the person in the car with him apparently was in possession of 200 grams of marijuana, under 200 grams of marijuana. So, you know, there's, there's obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough situation, and you know, Josh Gordon has to be better. You know, he got to be better than that. That's just, it's just stupid behavior. It's stupid behavior, and you, you got to learn from. And I know he's young, but you know, you only get so many opportunities in life. You know, you can be young and dumb for a period of time. You can make mistakes for a period of time. But if you keep making the same mistakes, eventually you're going to run into a lot of problems, and that's the situation with Josh Gordon, only 23 years old, hopefully he can turn things around, but riding dirty is not uh, the right direction to go, whether it's his weed or somebody else's weed. Riding and speeding with weed in your car is not a good idea, or hanging out with people who smoke weed when you're in a position that you're in a position, when you're in a position that you are, is probably not a smart idea. We want to thank Jermon Bushrod for stopping by. Make sure you hit him up on Twitter, Jay underscore, Bushrod, 74, 75, and support all the great things going on with his foundation, his foundation's events. Go to his website, com. Also, want to thank Young Scrap. For stopping by, hit him up on Twitter at YoungScrap, and also our NBA analyst and St. Peter's assistant basketball, Coach Marlon Guild, hit him up on Twitter at MGuild83. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at Game. For, okay, for everybody here go for it. we hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.